Hello and welcome to the Substance of Life Experience Podcast. Glad you could join us today. As always, we tell our listeners, uh, we thank you for your undivided attention. And we ask just for a few moments of your time so that we can inspire you, educate you, and of course, entertain you. So take a few moments, sit back, get that favorite beverage, get that favorite food, and enjoy. Today, we have a uh, very special guest. Her name is Ayana Ames, and she is a fashion designer. And uh, we're going to learn a lot more about her and her journey. And uh, like I said, I'm excited because I I love fashion. And uh, what better way to explain the landscape than to have a fashion designer on your program? So, without further ado, welcome, Ayana. Welcome to the Substance of Life. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I am excited that you're here. And if you can just kind of introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about who Ayana Ames is. So, Ayana Ames is, of course, as you just mentioned, a fashion designer, but I am also a photographer and pretty much a Renaissance woman, I would say. All right. That's what I like to hear. Yeah, you know, strong women. We do a lot and have many hats. Indeed, indeed. So, what prompted you to want to dive into the field of fashion? You know, it's always an interesting question. I started at a young age designing and uh, just looking through catalogs as a girl saying, oh, you know, I would love to wear that. And then I would sketch and illustrate, not really understanding that I was designing. And I really wanted to go into chemistry since fifth grade. And I totally switched the split. Well, switched the split. Wait a minute. So, (laughs) wait a minute. So, we started out with a love for science and transcended over into fashion. Yes. We are interested to hear how all of that blended together. It's it's weird. Like um, I've always been a science nerd. I would say that I I loved art as well. So it was playing a balance game. So when I got to about eighth grade, I I started designing my twirling costumes and working with my coach to actually produce them so that I would have them for competition. Um, and that's when I really realized, oh, I could get into fashion design. Well, what if I do fashion design and chemistry? Maybe I could do that. Oh, I was wow. still gung-ho about going into chemistry. So by the time I got to senior year of high school, I landed AP Chem. So I had two years of chemistry, junior year, Chem 1, and then AP Chem, which was like two classes. Okay. By the time I got to the end of it, I was like, yeah, no calculus and derivative rate laws. For me, that's my cutoff. Like, what I'm you didn't want to go through? And... You didn't want to go through the the lovely anxiety of derivative math. Man, I tried. <laughs> <laughs> I tried. I made it out of that class with a C in lab and lecture. I made it with a B. I was like, I'm done. I passed the AP exam, so I didn't have to take chemistry ever again. But I'm still technically involved in chemistry in a sense of the word still today. Okay. And how so? How, I mean, how, how does that blend together? So here's, here's one of my extra hacks that I did not mention forthcoming. So I'm also a licensed funeral director in Virginia. And so, of course, I play with chemicals now to embalm. And so background in my degree from the University of Alabama, I minored in photography, particularly 
fine art film photography. So, again, playing with chemicals in the dark room. Oh, wow. I'm, yeah. We're talking very, very diverse, okay? So I see very. how the science fits in to the mortuary business, and mm-hmm. that makes sense to me. But how did that fashion blend in there? So I learned once I entered into my freshman year of college that, in general, as we know, science and math is everywhere. Um, so the science of textiles, first finding the fibers, for example, say cotton, and refining it into the textile that it is today and then adding dyes and like making sure that those dyes are going to be steadfast. How many washes is it going to start to fade? Um, also with that, even going into synthetic fibers such as polyester and using that and making it feel like silk. The process in itself is because it's petroleum-based, and then it becomes what it becomes. Okay. So some of those silks that we think are silk are not actually silk. Oh, facts, yeah. Oh, wow. You always have to check the tags. When you understand fabric and texture, if you really understand the hand, your brain will start to recognize, oh, this is not silk, this is polyester. Sometimes, even with polyester and rayon, you can get confused. Because rayon is, you know, composites of cotton that have been processed like polyester. And now I'm starting to see how that science background blends in with the fashion. Because the average person doesn't think that. But you're absolutely correct. I don't want to buy a garment and I wash it twice and then all of a sudden the color is gone. Right. And if I'm paying $200 for a silk dress, I want it to be 100% oh, silk. Oh, yes. You, yes, it needs to be 100% silk. <laughs> okay. If, if, if I'm spending quality dollars for a quality garment, it's got to be the true fabric that I'm thinking. It's, it's the true fabric that I'm thinking it's supposed to be, which is interesting because um, that's not known. So obviously you went to school for this because, you know, this is not something that you would learn uh, at a high school level. So tell us a little bit about your education and, and how you kind of maneuvered in that landscape. Sure. Um, so as I mentioned, I went to the University of Alabama. Um, our program, our fashion program there is divided into two sections and it's underneath of the College of Human Environmental Sciences. So to give you a little background about human environmental sciences because unless you've gone into a college like that, most people don't think about that as a degree or a college or what what does it even mean. Um, So it's always about the advancement of human life and how we can make our lives easier and progress into the future and also help our earth. So that's where apparel and textile comes in. To play. Um, so the two divisions in fashion in our school is retail and design, which most of the time that's how it's divided in the industry as well. So we went through, you know, the normal gen ed classes and then we started off with, and this is where all that like science part started to blow my mind, was just the elements and principles of design. So basic lines, basic shapes, how we get from one thing to the next and like making a collection cohesive. Okay. So, um, so go ahead. when you say of making a collection cohesive, can you give us a little bit of definition about what is a cohesive collection? So 
It's interesting. I think it depends on the designer, but for the most part, there has to be at least two things that are going to align. So I usually have at least one color that's going to flow throughout the collection, and there is going to be some aspect of the garment that is going to be different or you can find a similarity in each piece. There's something that gives it its DNA. Okay. Okay. Awesome. I mean, most people don't know this and looking at it, you know, a designer, there's a, there's a specific background that you have to have in order to just be in the field is, is what I'm taking from you. Um, I, I would say yes, but at the same time, there are a lot of designers, you don't have to have your degree, you don't have to, most, I'll say you don't have to have your degree, but you will definitely need to have some kind of experience and vision, and, but from the educational side, I've understood more of the process, and I've also understood that there are a few more options and ways to go as opposed to, oh, well, I want to be a buyer or I want to be a designer. There are so many other little facets in the industry and in positions that we don't even know about. And, and you wouldn't and, have, would you have gotten that had you not gone to school? Had you not gone no, to? No, not necessarily. I was just about to say, um, we have learned about a few different positions, but once I got out of school and was looking for different positions, there are so many other things that I could have gone into just with my background. Oh, wow. And as it being as general as it kind of was. Okay, so I'm looking at the the design piece of it and you know for the most part people think of a designer like you know some of the names that are out there but I'm starting to kind of realize that they may not have had that educational base that you've gotten because you know if you get the wrong fabric it's not gonna wear well on your body like, for example, if, you know, the material that you have with a blanket, I, I don't think that material would work well with a pair of pants. Probably not. You know, but, <laughs> you know, so, but, you know, then that might, that's just a simplistic example. But, you know, just understanding that and, and you have the background of the material, you have that science background. So you probably know what materials are going to work best for whatever it is you're designing. Right. So I'll have that in my the back of my mind while I'm designing, or after I've designed, I'll search for the fabric to see what I'm looking for. Um, but yeah, most of the time, and even now, I even find difficulty when I you have your preference of fabric that you like to work with, but then when you try to explore outside of that, you want to make sure that, oh, this weight of fabric is going to be good for this season and it's going to be good for this end purpose. I don't want to use it, like you said, for a pant or if I want to use it for a jacket, is this going to work or is this not going to work with what I'm trying to do? So what has been your aspirations? What is it that you say when you get up in the morning and you know, an idea hits you and you want to create something? I have a long process. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah, it's interesting. So when, so because I'm running my business, most of the time when I get into business mode, I end up missing my creative side. And I have to carve out enough time to be creative, to illustrate, to find the inspiration. Sometimes inspiration just hits me. 
Um, and then I build out on that inspiration. So for my last collection, or the fall collection getting ready to come out, I was inspired by ink and smoke. So ink from an octopus or a squid in the deep water, and then smoke or fog, as it is, they're both in their element, can be effervescent, and they each have a different density. Oh, that sounds sexy. That sounds sexy. Okay, okay. Yes, it does. Okay, I got all kinds of things running through my mind now. I'm like, ooh, I like that. That's the surface level, though. The next level of my inspiration goes into how can I relate this to us as people and bringing the story of a man or a woman, depending on which collection I'm designing for, is how can you exude yourself? How can you be your best personal, like show your personality and individuality the best way possible while being confident in the clothes that you wear, not letting them wear you? Now, that's interesting because you know what? A lot of times... I see people, their confidence does come from the apparel that they have on. You know, yeah. if if they're, if they've got that pristine suit or that specific tie, they exude more confidence than they normally would. I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I, I think you're right. I think that there's a correlation between that. So Absolutely. You, you know, mm, so we've got like dimensions that you know you went through the first and the second dimension i'm there's i'm I'm assuming there's more a little bit yeah so once i i get to that like that's what i want to get to so with this collection um i pulled out of those two objects all right there's a sense of mystery there's something that's being either a warning or hidden and maybe something behind it that needs to emerge So I took that into ourselves. We have something deep inside. We have a vulnerable part of ourselves that we don't always want to bring out. We don't always share with people. But how can we share that part and make it so that, hey, you need to know me. This is me. And I'm proud of me. Awesome. So you're adding characteristics to the clothing, to the apparel. That is... That in and of itself, as far as I'm concerned, is genius. Uh, yes. So let's talk about, a little bit about your collection. Let's talk about, you know, you mentioned the fall collection. I grant, Granted, you know, anybody that knows anything about fashion, it's not like everything else. They are always forward thinking. So you're working on fall and we haven't even hit summer yet. I am working on many things at this time. <laughs> I actually started working on this coming fall, last fall. Oh wow! Last, I'll say I'll say end of spring, beginning of fall, um, and then I began working on. Well, it's next spring. I started it this past fall, but you know, as things go, you always kind of have to be a year ahead. At least a year um, ahead. Especially Yep, especially for production purposes. Yes, because you create something, you've got to get it made, you've got to get it out, you've got to, you know, it's, 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 you got to prototype it, you got to, you know, it's not just, oh, I sketched it out, I put it on paper, and now. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. 
Okay. The sampling process is the longest process, too. So how long does it take you? I mean, you're, you're working a year ahead, so you, so you will always be able to turn something out. But on an average, I mean, how long does it take you to say, okay, well, this is what I'm going to do in my collection, and this is how many pieces I'm going to have in my collection. And you you limit yourself. How long does it take you to get to that point? Because I know for me, it's it's terrible. I... I might start something and I'll keep adding and adding and adding until, you know, one side of my brain says, look, this is more than enough. Stop. How do you, how do <laughs> hey, you work that's that? That's not a bad thing. Um, for me, how do I work it? So once I have that idea of the inspiration, I might end up having an image of a look in my brain. So most of the time I try to put it down as soon as I can. If not, then it will be like a few days later. But once I actually get down to sit, I make sure that I sit and I get into a zone. And there's, you can always tell a difference when I start to illustrate and I'm not in the zone and then I get into the zone because the illustrations themselves progress. Okay. Um, so I usually try to sit down within that however long, maybe it's an hour, maybe it's two hours, depending on how much I, I have in my brain to put down um, to illustrate the flat, and then maybe illustrate the actual fashion illustration. Uh, lately, I haven't been doing my fashion illustration with it on a figure as much as I have been doing the like technical flat piece. So now you've given us a good idea of what a designer actually does. And I think uh, I had a question from one of my uh, listeners. What's the difference between a designer and a stylist? Okay. Because people so, get them confused. They do. They do. Because I get that sometimes, too, if I meet with somebody and they're like, oh, don't don't judge what I'm wearing. Like, I know you got the style, you're the stylist. But I'm like, no, I'm not a stylist. I, I don't care what you're wearing. I, I'll retract that. I do care what you're wearing. I don't judge what you're wearing because me, myself, as a designer, I'm not always dressed at the the optimal top design, like, style. Some days I'm just laid back, normal, in my jeans, in my T-shirt, <laughs> just like everybody else. It's like, yes, I'm going to the, to the store now, and I've got on these oversized baggy pants and a T-shirt and a head wrap, and I'm happy. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to the grocery store in my heels. <laughs> <laughs> now, see, I'm laughing, but I have seen some women do that. I, Thank I, you. I have seen some women go to the grocery store, especially now during COVID season, I guess, that they, you know, they've got the pants on and the red bottom shoes and the eye. I'm like, they're totally made up. So a stylist does what in terms of, of you, of what they produce as opposed to a designer? All right. So as I mentioned, so designer, as you, as we've just talked about, you know, goes through the steps of, you know, creating the, the look, the, the piece, the garment, even all the way from illustration to, pattern making to sampling and measuring it out, getting ready for production. A stylist takes what has been designed and combines it with different pieces, whether it's from the same designer or a different designer, along with accessories, and creates a look. 
So when you hear somebody talking about, oh, that look, that is fire. Oh, my gosh. That is their work. So they will put together the the full style of the, the look you might see in the magazine. Most of the time, if you see a fashion editorial, a stylist has put that together. The designer has not put that together. Oh, wow. So when I'm looking, my favorite magazine is Departures. American Express is the editor of such magazine. And I look at some of the styles that they have. Of course, they have the top in uh, designers. But what you're telling me is, yes, it may be designed by this particular designer. But a stylist came in and put in the the uh, accessories or, you know, the shoes and and kind of took that person's collection and mixed and matched it so that it has a certain look. Right. And now sometimes there are designers that do both, but most of the time they are separate. Now I got to ask this. So if I'm a designer and I've been asked to do a certain style for a page, am I getting paid both for both? Yes. Uh, Well, am I getting, am I getting, I guess my question is, am I getting paid for doing both duties? Cause I, I designed it. And now I'm putting it on the model and I'm getting it together. Depends on if they're paying you to be in that editorial. If they're, most of the time you have to pay to be in the editorial. Okay, that's another discussion we need to have. That is, de- <laughs> yes. okay, so now you open the door and I need to walk through it. Please explain most of the time you're paying them? Yes. So I'm actually in the process of doing this myself. Um, I've been researching different magazines and publications to submit to, along with my photography side, because I actually play, most of the time, photographer and designer, sometimes stylist, depending on if I have someone else from my team with me or not. Um, But yes, most of the time, depending on what the submission is, if it's just a submission, and you don't have two or three looks from the same designer, most of the time you don't pay for the submission. But depending, it also just depends on the publication. Um, everyone has a different calendar. They have a different setup and how they would want you to do it. So then if they're using their team, but most of the time the photographer and the designer and stylist have all coordinated, you would end up paying the stylist. So I would pay the stylist and the photographer to do what they do. Oh, wow. See, that is definitely not common knowledge. So as I'm thumbing through my Departures magazine and I see those beautiful Mickey Moto pearls and earrings mm-hmm. and rings, and then they're on this beautiful model and she's got, you know, this wonderful garb on, they're paying the magazine to display their uh their wares yeah their jewelry did not. well more so they're paying the magazine to put the photos into the magazine and is this something that they teach you in school is this the marketing side i i never... you know it will probably be on the marketing journalism side but it definitely was not in my program <laughs> <laughs> i'm like what okay so i'm blown away i i had no idea that that was uh the actual way of um doing business. So tell us a little bit about your collection. 
and 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 i know we're going with seasonal so i am going to pick summer tell us a little bit about your summer collection your summer 2021 collection so this collection i've carried on from last year mostly because covid and i had actually designed it in 2019 and started producing it at the beginning of last year hoping that it would have all been in the state in March for distribution. However, the shipping process of COVID delayed half of my inventory until September. I believe it. Oh my God, I believe it. Definitely. So that collection is called Flourish. And the first part of the inspiration is about being in a desert and there being a seed. Taking that seed, it's been moved by the wind, by whatever rain does or does not come, by animals. And it's been carried to this new field from completely deserted and desolate into a new plain. And it it is planted, it grows, and it flourishes. And it becomes this field like oasis. And so going a little deeper, it's reflective of a man's journey from one environment to the next throughout his life into a place where he thrives and he flourishes out of a harsh environment into a field of wonder. So when you describe that, I'm seeing uh, I'm seeing light fabrics. I'm seeing like taupes, colors, uh, linens. Tell us a little bit about, um, when you say collection, tell us a little bit about what we might see in that particular collection. All right. Uh, this collection ended up being four shirts, and everything is 100% cotton. Um, you know, also keeping with the idea of eco-friendly, sustainable options. We have two styles that are button-up styles, and the idea for my line is that our pieces are transitional. So that doesn't just transition from, you know, work to a night out, um, but also trying to give it longevity and make it so that it can flow into the next season. So one of our shirts is a three-quarter sleeve length shirt, and it has a button-up Nehru low collar with a zigzag stitch across the front. And it's made of either a poplin fabric, which is, you know, very crisp, very structured. And then the other is a miniature Oxford, so it's got that soft hand that kind of flows. So that's one example of one of the shirts that we have. And the other button-up has a hidden button placket, so with a contrasting color down the, the center front and the collar. And then you can flip up the sleeve of the hem, and it has another contrasting color on it Oh, as wow. Well. See, that was what I envisioned when you were describing your story for that particular collection. So when we when we look at that collection and that line and, and you've designed it, you've given it life by giving it a story, uh, which I think is absolutely fabulous. I don't know. Yeah. How, and I'm assuming when you do your photography, that story becomes very visual. I try to do that. I do. The first collection was a journey photography-wise. Um, I did go into the desert with another photographer. Um, we went to the Valley of Fire to shoot it. 
Oh, I wow. loved how they came out. My consultant did not. Um, but it's okay. You know, you you live, you learn. Um, and then I've reshot it in different places, you know, in the city and no, where I, else have I shot it? <laughs> and this year, you know, with us being cooped up, it, it may... I think that it'll appeal to quite a few people because, you know, right now, gosh, we do want to blow through a journey. I can tell you that. So uh, yes. <laughs> that pat- that particular line, uh, you said you started in 2019 and, and you finally got, uh, are getting it out. Um, because it seems like there is a supply chain that you have to create for yourself in order to move from inspiration to paper to actual product to actual in a customer's hand. So what type of fashion are we looking at? Are you, am am I going to go into a Macy's and get your collection or am I going to get it custom made? Tell us a little bit about how you work. So right now in with this first collection, I had just started my production journey, my manufacturing journey. So what I do now, I kind of work on a production schedule. I, well, you know, COVID, uh, we can't go to trade shows anymore. So it's all virtual. But I would go to a trade show such as Magic and I would source, that is the proper term for looking for a factory to make my design and produce it. Uh, so I connected with two different factories to produce this collection out of probably four or five I had actually met with. And so we went through the process of developing the samples. And most of the time I will develop, well, it'll take two to three times before it, it's correct. Um, but trying not to get hung up on the small, small things that only I as a designer know may be wrong. Well, you want it perfect, yes. I mean, by the time it gets to the customer, you know, they're like, oh, it's beautiful. I don't understand. What is she talking about? Right, exactly. So I have had to take myself a step back a couple of times. Like, no, it looks good. It's like, this is exactly what I've had in mind, minus a few things, whatever. It's it's good. It looks great. People will love it. Um, So what I'm trying to do as a small brand and small business and especially emerging brands, I am looking to connect with boutiques, and I have been on a circuit of calling boutiques to sell to boutiques. But right now, you can find my collection on my website at amelinecollections.com. Okay, go ahead and spell that out so that our listeners get it right. All right, I'm going to go a little military for you. That's okay. That's perfectly okay. (laughs) All right, we have A as an apple, M as in Mary, A as an apple, L as in Larry, I as in indigo, N as in Nancy, E as in Edward, C as in cat, O as in ogle. I don't know. What do you think? Oscar. It's it's Oscar. (laughs) (laughs) Oscar. There we go. Oscar. L is in Larry, L is in Larry, E is in Edward, C is in Cat, T is in Tom, I is in Igloo, O is in Oscar, N is in Nancy, S is in Sam.com. Okay, so that's <laughs> Okay, and of course, uh, listeners, I will have that address at the end of my Spotify narrative so that you can get it and um, contact Ayana. 
uh, and inquire more about her collection. So now I want to dive into you. You said something about COVID and, you know, how it has changed the dynamics of the trade shows because you can't physically go out like you used to. So what do you do now? How do you function in a world where you you know, you have to touch the fabric or you have to talk to the individual? How do you maneuver the landscape now? Well, like most businesses, you know, most things have moved to Zoom. Um, the the trade shows have all created a platform online now that you can go to, you can find the different manufacturers that you might want to work with, look at their profile, see what they have in their closet, is another term, of what they have made, what they could make, um, and what their minimum order quantity would be, um, and what fabrics they work with. So I've been on three different platforms. I have been on Magic's platform. I've been on TextWorld's platform. And there's another platform um, that is not an actual trade show. Um, and so I've done my search. Sometimes I don't even have to search because the factory will reach out to me. Hey, we would love to work with you. And by then, if I decide I would like to work with this company, I will message them or they'll message me and we'll coordinate to have a Zoom meeting and, you know, exchange our information. So one company I met with this past fall, fabric. We had a Zoom meeting. We talked about what they do, what I do, what I'm looking for, what they would be able to supply me with. Um, and then they sent me fabric swatches uh, so that I could look at the samples and get the feel of the texture of the fabric to see if this was the weight that I would want to design with. So there are a lot of moving pieces to your business and how you do what you do. So if you're selling to a boutique, I'm assuming that you're looking at a certain style, a certain body type. Can you talk to our audience about that, about, you know, the different body types? Because, you know, some of us are very uh, voluptuous women and some of us are very thin women. So talk to us about how you design for the the different shapes and sizes that are out there. So for women, as you know, we all have different shapes. Like you just mentioned, um, there are technical names for these shapes. None of these names personally are, what's the word I'm looking for? They're not attractive. They're, they feel wrong. They're still terrible. <laughs> I think they're older. I think that the design terms date back to the 19th century. And, I can't believe that. And I mean, even the sizes. I, I was having a discussion with or teaching a class. And, you know, one of the young girls were, she just was blatant and she said, hey, you know what? I'm, I don't know what a 44D is. I'm, I, there's nothing in between there that I can work with that would fit me. And I'm like, you know, she's got a point. And yeah. I did a little research and found out that that size chart goes back to the 19th century. It does. That's it shameful. Does. And, yeah. Well, I mean, think about menswear. This is where a reason, one reason why I got into menswear. <laughs> Things like their styles haven't really, really changed since the 1800s. No, because it's I mean, black, gray, or blue. It's black. Right. In yeah. the last decade, the actual design of like a shirt or pants or bringing in prints 
into the clothing has just happened over the last 10 years. It hasn't been like, oh, we've been doing this the last 40 years. No, no, there haven't been drastic changes. There have been small ones, and now, you know, we're getting more into the androgynous and unisex clothing, which is good, but then technically if you go straight over to, you know, suiting, it's the same. So do you design for male or female or, or just, you know, you, you do a unisex kind of thing? What what do your pieces resemble more of? Majority of the time, I'm designing menswear. Um, a couple of my pieces during COVID having to pivot, I have pivoted them as unisex because we as women steal our men's clothes anyway. Why not? <laughs> Look, if it's comfortable, <laughs> if it's comfortable, I will admit when I go out and I get sweatpants or if I'm looking for trousers that have a certain look to them, like mm-hmm. the baggy look, I'm I'm not looking in the women's section because it's just not right. there. Yeah, it's just right. not there. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm going but, to the men's section. Yes. Yeah. Basically, sweaters, I'll I'll take a men's sweater, too. You just have to watch the chest. Well, all my sweaters are from the men's section because the women's sweaters are too small. They just don't. Yes. They don't lay right. Or they right. don't get the waist right. Yes, they don't complement. So, um, and I haven't found any designer out there that, I mean, unless, of course, you're a size 2, you know, or very, very thin. But if you are a robust size woman, you know, you, you want to wear that basic red sweater, uh, that Oxford kind of look or that Oxford shirt, you're you're headed to the men's section. Because that's right. what you're going to find to fit you. So right. your clothing line is primarily for, for men or unisex. Yes. Okay. Um, eventually, I'm hoping to move into women's wear. I like to design both. Um, but my passion is more so in men's because when I started out in school, I, you know, I could zip up a dress in like two hours from, okay, I'll say three to four with pattern making on top of that. But without without the dress, done. Then for me was a challenge because what most people don't think about and realize is that men also have curves. They may be slight sometimes, or they might be more. Well, that guy who has that big who has that big physique, and you know he's a weightlifter and his arms and or just your basic football players. You know, I I sit back and I've I've been looking you know at television reruns. And when they're seated up there, especially, you know, during the draft and you're look, I'm like, oh, my God, you look uncomfortable. Does that that suit doesn't fit you or right. it's either oversized and hanging or it's or it's, too tight. Yes. <laughs> and and you can see the muscles ripping. And I'm like, oh, my God, who dressed you, baby? Um, you know, you look at that and you're like, oh, he didn't have very much to choose from. And I only noticed that because when my son was growing up. There were no boy clothes with any type of uh, diversity in them. And as he got older, my choices became less and less. So fast forward 20 years up until today, it's the same thing. My grandson, when I go to the store to buy clothing for him, it's the same thing. There's little diversity. What does your collection do for the fashion-forward conscious male? 
in terms of dressing him? So what I do is I've completely, I try to just break a mold. I have, so one, a three-quarter sleeve shirt. You don't often see that um, for men. Most of the time you might see it for women um, or something like that. So I have introduced this three-quarter sleeve. What's the point in rolling up your sleeve if it's already done for you? Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I was going to say, I noticed that. Yeah, I know. And then it rolls down during the course of the evening. <laughs> right. Like, and then you get frustrated and you got to re-roll it. Like, let's take the frustration out of it. It's done. Um, I also like to bring in just subtle hints of design and cutouts. And I like to play with texture, too. So, you know, women have had these shirts. So one of the other shirts I have is a Henley. Um, but it's not just one fabric. You know, women, we've had shirts with two different fabrics for I don't even know how long. But Forever. Long yeah. Right. So I've introduced that into my collection, the spring collection. I have knit with cotton, like woven cotton on these shirts. Okay. So allowing breathability, allowing for flexibility. You because men sweat this. more. Yeah. So you want breathability. Yeah. Like my husband right. is like, I'm not wearing anything that's not 100% cotton because the cotton breathes. And, and, you know, all of his dress shirts and even his casual shirts are 100% cotton because they, they do need to be breathable. What right. about color? I mean, you know. How do I select color? Well, are men. Following a trend. Yeah, because, you know, guys are like. I can't wear that color. I'm not wearing yellow. I'm not wearing, you know, color. How do you, how do you introduce color? Uh, It's it's a tough question. I think it depends. It always depends on the guy. My collection, so this first collection, most green is the neutral in this collection. Um, There is white, of course, but for the most part, green is the neutral. And color trends have been changing over the last couple of years, and guys are Look, I find more prints out for men in their shirt than plain, solid shirts now. Good. So that's my competition is because I don't have any prints that I'm offering. So I have to deal with, all right, well, this is kind of a, it's a subtle look. It's just one color. Like a little hint here, but. Kind of brace them a little bit to to introduce color because. Yeah. Now, I will admit this. My son is not afraid of wearing color. He will buy a shirt that is multicolored with the oranges and and the reds and, you know, the browns and things. He's not afraid to wear color. And I'm noticing more and more men are breaking away from the traditional blue, black, brown, gray. Yes. Because, because, I was going to say, because we work in a more relaxed setting... How do you see the fashion trend for, for men's clothing moving? Well, definitely everything is, like, comfort-based, especially now with COVID. And, but because everybody is also at a point of crisis fatigue and they're just over it, they're also ready to get out and get dressed soon. So, but you also have to be work-ready for your Zoom meetings most of the time. Like, yes. you can't just roll up in a T-shirt unless your company is like, okay, we don't really have a dress code. That's fine. Um, but, you know, depending on, on that guy, like you said, your son, he likes big colors and prints. I know plenty of people around my general age group, in my generation, most of them are like, I'm going for loud, the different, the out there. I don't want to be over here in just black, gray, and navy. Um, I'm going to go with 
I'm going to find me like a, a toque suit. I'm going to find this burgundy suit. I'm going to get this pastel suit and I'm going to make it me. So- and even blazers in the stores now too, they are elevated. They have embroidery. They have sequins. I, I noticed mean- that. I noticed that it was like so different now that yeah. um, men are taking more of a risk with their clothing than they have right. in the past. Which I'm, right. uh, uh, I think that's wonderful because I, I I'm sick of the blues, the grays, and and, and the blacks. <laughs> I'm like, we got to do something with this. We, we got to do something with this. Um, yes. So uh, your fashion line is is centered around both genders, but you prefer you're preferencing uh, working for males. Do you do bespoke? Do you do that custom? Uh, design for individuals? I offer it if it is requested. I don't always put it out there so much anymore. When I started out, I started out with custom made to measure, made to order tailoring um, because I actually spent some time learning it at school. I would have loved to have gone and gotten my master's from the Royal College of Art in London. Yes. But that did not happen, so it's okay. <laughs> that yes, that look, I I know that there are two educational institutions uh, out there: the uh, school in London and Fashion Institute of Technology in New York. And growing up, you know, we would see the students. This was back in the day when wearing purple hair made you look weird. Um, right. But, this, but now it is a statement. It's and a you know, statement. hey, that person's probably creative of some kind. Yes, and a fashion trend, actually. But growing yes. up, I remember seeing the students uh, uh, hovering around Fashion Institute of Technology in Manhattan. And it was like, wow, you know, they were different. Uh, but that's where you went in order to perfect your craft. And right. it was centered around uh, the fashion industry. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, hey, you know what? Maybe maybe you'll take a workshop once COVID is over, over at, um, in, in, in Great Britain and London. I think that would be great. Maybe. We'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But, uh, you know, so, we'll get there. <laughs> let's talk about the fashion industry and you as a African-American woman, you're an entrepreneur, you started your own business. What's All your right. journey been like in terms of, cause see, you've got a lot of moving parts, you know, that you've got to work with the marketing, the different manufacturers, the, you know, just a lot to go with. T- tell, tell our audience a little bit about that. It's definitely a balancing act, that is for sure. Um, So being a black woman in the fashion industry is interesting in itself, um, but especially as an entrepreneur because, in general, women aren't, especially for menswear, you don't find a lot of female designers. But black women or even black designers, you know, we're out there, but not a lot of people see us. Not a lot of people recognize us, even though we're out here, we're bootstrapping it. We are giving you authenticity and new designs and new aspects and perspectives. Um, so, you know, our in- the industry is very low as far as, you know, recognizing black designers in places of power. Um, and when you say luckily, places of power, what do you mean by places of power? Like 
being a CEO, being a head designer of a major fashion house that is not one of our own companies that we have come up with. Luckily, with the Black Lives Matter movement in the last couple of years, things are slowly changing, um, but it's still a long way to go. But just to mention a couple of movements and organizations that have been helping black designers that are emerging, as well as ones that have been in the industry, but in the background. Aurora James had created the 15% Pledge last year. Now, I'm sorry, what was her name again? Aurora James. Aurora James, okay. She's a, the designer of Brother Viles. It's a shoe company, uh, shoe label okay. in New York. And she came up with a 15 pledge because there is less than 15%, most of the time even less than 1% of any black created product in any major store. And that's so true. Her, yes. So her mission with this pledge and petition is to get these stores to a point that they at least carry 15% of black created products or black product in their store. Okay. And she She's gotten a couple different a couple different companies and major businesses have jumped on the train, but you know, there's still some people working on that. But you can still sign the petition, you can still go donate to that cause. It, I'm I'm hoping that it continues to be a large movement because hey, us little people, we need all the help we can get. Yes, I agree with you one hundred percent on especially on on that. And some stores I've seen uh black owned products uh but they've been hair care products like carol's daughters you know at one point macy's was the only place that carried it and macy's i don't know if they carry it still or not but now i know that it's in target and uh there's another facial uh product line that are that are that's out that i've seen at uh, target and walmart but what i haven't seen are designers right i haven't seen them step up to the plate you know i haven't seen uh, at, at Bloomingdale's or, or uh, you know, a Saks, even online, uh, African-American labels are just black labels in general. Right. Um, there is a designer who I know personally. She is working with, uh, I want to say it's Saks. She was displayed in their window recently, and I think she just got an order uh, from them. But, yeah, like you said, you know, if you hardly find black designers in major stores or major places. So there are a couple different, you know, organizations and foundations that have been making it more feasible for black designers to be recognized and placing them at least into the room to speak to a buyer, to, you know, network the way that we can't usually get to network, even though, hey, oh, I went to this event too, but I couldn't talk to anybody. Nobody interacted with me. I tried to insert, and they moved on. So, um, so yeah, is, a it, of those. is it that you're not being seen or you don't have a seat at the table? Or both, actually. No, it might be a little bit of both. But I will say, you know, Liberty Fairs, they're doing a nice job. They moved, um, her name's Edwina. She's now the VP, I believe, of Liberty Fairs, which, you know, they're based out of New York, and they're big on diversity. So they've made a huge move, but... So I see, I see things have changed. And when I say things have changed, so you have your places like Amazon that you, 
you mm-hmm. can uh but Amazon takes a hefty price. They, they are yeah. Yeah, I, and I only know that I only know that because when I published my book, I went through Amazon and it was like a, 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 a like they 30% took a thirty percent split. Yeah, it was like a seventy thirty percent split Ugh. with them. And I'm like, you know, I'm glad I'm just doing this to be doing this. <laughs> I could never, <laughs> I could never pay bills like this. So I'm imagining that for uh, any type of garment, it may be something similar. You, you, you probably, you know, depending upon the price of your garment, would be walking away at a loss because. You know, they're going to take most of your uh, money. But the question I have is, are there environments online, online malls to to that effect where we can distribute, share our wares? But then, of course, you know, is is there something like that that's available? Yes, actually, there are quite a few platforms. So I am also on the Buy from a Black Woman business directory, and she she's a nonprofit organization always helping out black women business owners and trying to promote them on social media in any way that she can. And she has her directory, and it's full of different categories from apparel to health and wellness to, you know, just natural care or even, you know, guidance. And she she does a nice job with her directory. Um, and there are a couple other, you know, platforms for Black-owned businesses. There was one that just opened recently, but I did not get onto it. They were charging high fees, too. I was like, look, I'm a small business. This means... We emphasis on small crisis. yes emphasis right. on small i don't i don't have the money to you know I, i'm looking for a place to land but you know i don't want to go broke in the process exactly. no I, and the reason why i mention that is because you know we more and more do our shopping online and yeah. i need to have a place to go or would like to have a place to go you know, similar to like what we see with Macy's, you know, back in the day when Sears and Montgomery Wards had their catalog, you know, that's where you bought stuff from. So right. where is the black Sears and, and Montgomery Wards so that I can go and I can buy that particular garment that I'm just, you know, going to fall in love with? That's right. that's but what I'm looking for. Even, even then, you're still now, you know, the Internet is a huge place. Um you, you've always got to search for something unless you know people that know of these different platforms. But even then, like I said, even with the directory, unless you know what you're looking for, you have to search through each page to get to the website to see what product you want to get. It, it's, you know, it's like, it's like Amazon. Unless you know what you're searching for on Amazon, you're going to be there forever. <laughs> yes, uh, and and I do agree with you on that one because I do find that, you know, if I can find something that fits me well and I'm comfortable, I'm going to return. It's just, it's inevitable. And, and that's good marketing and that's good salesmanship. So I think what we need to do is we need to build that environment because it sounds like it's not there yet. 
you know, right. that's what it sounds like. It's not it's not there yet. We've got to figure out how to to get it there and make it work and make it work for black women entrepreneurs who are looking to sell their product. I think that we may end up having to go create our own because it doesn't exist at this point in time. I don't right. think the brick and mortars are going to be around much longer. Not just so I much for COVID. Unless they adapt to online. Yeah. But most of them have. But it, right. I think we're going to have to take a different niche, uh, a different, uh, and when I say a different niche, in that, you know, once upon a time, you could go into a store, you see a fabric, you see a garment on the, you know, in your size, on the rack, you pull it out, you might try it on, and then you go home and you're happy. But right. now, the dynamics of it, it changes. And I think for you, what you're doing that I find to be so exciting is you're taking your customer on a journey. It's not I'm designing a uh, collection for you. I'm designing an experience for you through clothes. Right. And I really, really right. like that. I think that that is Thank absolutely you. awesome. Very unique, very different. Uh, what would you like to see different in the fashion industry? What would you like to see different happen for uh, individuals such as yourself in the in the fashion industry? That's a good question. Um, honestly, I feel like more buyers... Okay, so let me put it this way. Everyone wants something new, but not everybody wants to pay for it or take the chance on it until they see that somebody else is taking a chance on it. So I wish that that stigma was not as big of a thing as it is because... As a small brand and a designer, I've had to take the risk to take on inventory, not knowing how COVID was going to go, but I was like, all right, well, I'll order it. Now I'm getting and hearing, hey, we need goods. Okay, I have goods, but you're still resistant to taking me on as a new brand. Gotcha. So it's that. It's the proactive. Yes, it's (laughs) that risk of we don't really know who and what she is so we're not going to take the risk exactly and that's common that's very common uh throughout your industry so what advice would you give that young designer that young pre-designer that young person that is in college saying yeah this is what i want to do uh one way out your option two the journey is hard but if you stay persistent and just continue to do what you love what you're passionate about but making sure that you're going to get somewhere. Make sure you have your goals. You just have to keep pushing forward. I don't. I mean, sure, failure is a thing. But the way I see it is if you learn from your failures. You learn from your mistakes and the things that you trip up on. It's, it's a long, hard process. And you definitely have to have some grit to stick it out until you get there. Well, Ayana, I will say this. You exemplify the up-and-coming young entrepreneurial uh, designer. And the reason why I say that, because uh, you took us through your journey and I appreciate you doing that. But in the process of taking us through your journey, I see that commonality. You are well-educated and you are a designer and you're still struggling. So, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen, you know, here at The Substance of Life, we like to do plugs and I'm going to ask that you go to Ayana's website and you look at her garments and for those of you who are in a position to take that risk I'm going to ask that you take that risk uh, and then pass on what you've seen to other people 
I I believe in her product. And before she, well, no, you did have your business when I bought that dress from you. In fact, yes. I will say this, and I will say this proudly. You are the person who educated me on what color block actually was. Because <laughs> I didn't know. That's okay. When it was said- just emerging, and I had done a design prior to color blocking becoming big. I literally you did, did. Like a year or two before, and then boom. And then boom, color block was here. And I'm like, you know, I was... When you said color, I'm like, what is color block? I don't know what that is. <laughs> but you you explained it to me. And I was like, oh, okay, I get it now. But, um, yes, very, very well educated and very, very talented. Multi-talented because, you know, you, you have that full swing. You've got the photography in there. You've got the science in there. You've got that business part in there. And you give credence to that old adage that we have to be 10 times as better in order to compete. So I thank you for what you do. And um, ladies and gentlemen, I am going to ask that uh, you go and visit the site. Ayana, give another plug. Thank you so much. And you can find us at amlinecollections.com, a men's transitional brand looking to create ease in your lifestyle. Yes. So thank you for joining us here at the Substance of Life Experience podcast. Uh, I, I wish you well. I know that at the end of the year, it's going to be hard for me to get a hold of you because you're going to be so busy doing so many things and fulfilling so many orders. So, hey, listeners, hey, family members, show some love. Thank you. And thank you. <laughs>